As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to rise in Nigeria, governments, both at the state and federal level, are intensifying efforts and also exploring different options to help mitigate the spread of the virus. Although everyone is susceptible to acquiring the virus that causes COVID-19 when the transmission is no longer isolated to initial cases, the risk is twice high for people living in low-income areas, densely populated areas, conflict eat as well as rural and urban slum communities. These are underserved communities that are poor and disadvantaged. They live without basic infrastructure and social amenities. The United Nations World Food Programme says vulnerable communities in Nigeria's war-torn northeast states of Borunu, Adamawa and Yobe need more than $182 million to sustain life over the next six months. But half of Nigeria's 205 million population are living in extreme poverty and there are many underserved communities across the country. The majority of them have underlying health conditions which may predispose them to getting infected by the virus if not monitored. The initial lockdown measures imposed by the government help to keep them in their clustered communities and therefore safe to an extent. But the easing the lockdown meant many have to return to their manual jobs. Public health experts are worried that without intentional focus on these communities, there is a heightened risk of large-scale community transmission. Hello and welcome to NOW, our podcast that examines the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on all aspects of our lives. I am Bumi Yakini. Public health expert and founder of Market Doctors Nigeria, Dr. Yetunde Ayela Lawo says, the simple hand washing rule is not as simple for rural dwellers. When the COVID-19 pandemic came, we started telling people to wash their hands. And how were they going to wash their hands if they did not have running water? How were they going to wash their hands if they were actually buying water with money? Permanent Secretary, Local Government and Community Affairs, Dr. Taiwo Lufemi Salam says, rural communities are safer than urban communities because their hygiene is better. I think there are also social distances. Is, is that they use their mask. The school is not open. The family is a nucleus one that they stay together. While the mother and the children, they are close to themselves. So the issue of social distance is not really matter here because they are not having foreigners or visitors visiting them. Raga music star African China is locked down in Ajegun, Lagos, Nigeria, writing lyrics for his music. The whole lockdown came with a whole lot of its own vibe because we have too many stories to talk about. So now I'm just trying to see how I can put one and two together, you know, to make it melodious. Majority of the rural and urban slum communities in Nigeria lack access to proper health care and basic social amenities. These communities include high-density slums, which are home to many low-income people, even the homeless. With the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is rising worry on how the virus will affect people living in these precarious environments. Juliet Obata takes a look at the threat to these communities posed by the pandemic. Many of the rural and urban slums that are of concern to public health experts are overcrowded and lack access to water and sanitation. 
the people who live in them get their daily subsistence from informal jobs that require contact with others. These are the recipes for imminent outbreak of diseases and infections like the COVID-19 virus. The metropolitan city of Lagos houses over 50 rural and slum communities. Ilaje Otumara community is one of them. It is located on Lagos mainland local government of the state. Mrs. Ngozi Okoro is the coordinator of Child to Child Network. She worked in this community during the lockdown. She shares her experience. You see, the fact is that in that place, when is a slum, even to enter their community, oh no. We are talking about social distance, we are talking about using face masks. Anytime we enter that community, from the entrance to the place, it's only the balance that we always see with face masks and maybe family. All that, all the young people there, they don't. When I, I ask them, I say, Where are your face masks? Why are you people not using face masks? You know, they told me that um, Malay, I should forget that there is no COVID 19 in Lagos, there is no COVID 19 in Nigeria. In the northern city of Kano is Kabuga Quarters, a traditional area in Gwale Local Government Council. Residents of the community, like many others, do not have good stories to tell. I'm Abubakar Yaya Ibrahim by name. The way this uh, coronavirus touched my life is by the way I'm suffering. Because all what I'm doing, it was already stopped based on the pandemic, this uh, corona pandemic. I did not receive any aid or assistance or support from government or individuals or uh, NGOs. We are just living based on what we have before. My name is Annette Suleiman Abba. Well, life during this pandemic is very, very difficult. It was even very difficult for the citizens to even have their three square meals party. And it, as it was said about the palliative being given by the federal government to distribute to the citizens, almost 70 to 80 percent of the citizens never received that. It is a very, very difficult period, very trying period. For us, this issue of pandemic had created a kind of maybe problems, financial problems, like I said, movement obstacles movement to hospitals, even doctors to attend you is a very big problem because they are afraid of maybe being, the, being uh, you know, affected by the, by the coronavirus. My name is Blessing Joseph. Coronavirus is affecting all of us, not only me. Did you understand? Mostly in my studies. Corona totally locked me down from not continue my education. I have to finish my education this month to collect my certificate. But unfortunately, by this effect of disease, I have stopped. My name is Mansour. Well, as far as I can tell, it has affected me in a number of ways. Notably, the issue of maybe this lockdown, because I've been having some issues maybe regarding my businesses and what have you. And then even the income coming is more or less declining on daily basis. And then in a way, my area people have been affected by this uh, pandemic because you will find so many people are struggling to get what to survive on. And then in so many cases, you will find people 
having issues financially. Mrs. Olubukola Debi is the founder of Jackin Initiative, which focuses on solving societal ills in the country and on health education and empowerment. She has been working in different communities in Nigeria. She describes to me some of the things she has seen in these communities. Before the pandemic, they didn't have access to food. They didn't have um, good water. They didn't have proper sanitation. They don't have standard toilet facilities. Not only would they have the toilet, um, standard toilet facilities, there's even no way a sewage disposal tank can get to them because there's no road network for them to even, even if you do soak away for them and you do proper toilet, you can't even evacuate the soak away if it's full. So you have all those issues, refuse disposal, environmental issues are very serious around them. And then even um, most of their waterways are being used for defecation. And so there's no how they don't have issues of hygiene. So to be able to now have very clean water supply in such areas, except for Bo'o, because most of these areas too don't have um, government water, is not getting to them. There's no pipes that are laying across their canals to get to them. So they rely on a few boreholes that they have within the community. And most of the boreholes, they are selling the water. Two, most of the boreholes are not even treated at all. So they are just basically boreholes and people drink those water, those kinds of water directly. So again, in most of these places also, they don't have at least even a primary health center. So they most of the time rely on traditional medicine, about medicine. They have issues of birth. Women that are pregnant and all that, they focus more, they use the, utilize more traditional birth attendants and auxiliary nurses, which are not qualified nurses at all. Even community health extension workers, except those that are residing within their community. So how are these rural dwellers able to handle medical emergencies? When they have medical emergencies, they resolve back to quack doctors or nurses that they have within the community or about medicine within the community. When they have issues, even within the, during the, before the lockdown, even to rush cases across to the mainland, you know, medical cases, most of the time they have a lot of people dying before they get to the mainland or especially even women that want to put to bed in the middle of the night and it becomes complicated cases. There's no vehicle, they can't cross. And most of the time, again, the canals, you know, water, water has its way of filling up in the night. So when the water is heavy, again, most times they can't even cross with their canoe. So they are stranded and they just have to resolve to traditional um, medical practices that are not ideal. So they are always having issues of death or complicated cases or it's too late by the time that rushing the person in the morning to the medical health um, facilities that are um, still very far. For their children, they don't have school. Most of them already, even before the lockdown, their children have to cross the river, walk a long distance before they can get to the nearest government school. So they still have to rely on some small, small low-income schools. That they, they are, that are established around their communities, and for those that are the communities, most of them have French schools around them where those children attend. So the children don't even attend proper school. 
with reports of rising community transmission of the COVID-19 virus in densely populated areas in the country. It has become extremely important for the government to pay more attention to urban and rural slums in order to control the spread of the virus. Juliet Obata, reporting. So how exactly are states dealing with the danger posed by community transmission? To find out, I spoke to Dr. Taiwo Lufemi Salam, who was just until four weeks ago, Permanent Secretary, Local Government and Community Affairs for Lagos State. Uh, immediately, the COVID-19 began. I was the Permanent Secretary then. The Mr. Governor, Mr. Babaji Jolushola Sanwolu, invited all the stakeholders as we were informing the people in the urban town, so also we were informing the people in the rural area. To settle down to the rural area we're talking about, we immediately invited all the CTAs, that's community development associations. We, uh, we printed out uh, leaflets to them in both English and teaching languages to be able to pass the information what is COVID, how can we go about not having the COVID, and how do we relate with the people with the COVID. We are able to pass this message down to the extent that if you look at the rate the COVID is really biting now, it has less uh, impact on the rural community or more in the city center. Because our people in the city center, they refuse to abide by the information passed to them. But in the rural area, they abide by the information. The information of washing your hands, make sure you cover your nose, make sure you use gloves and all those sort of things. And if you have it, the telephone number you should call, all those sort of things. In rural area, we don't have much problem there. So that's what Ulusola Abadi, governor of the state, that we have to pass the shutdown. Then, he also approved that we should go and disinfect all the public places. We should do schools, called uh, parks, and other palaces are there. Every nook and cranny, which we carried out through the assistance of uh, the environmental health officers in the local government. Constant hand washing with soap and water is one of the safety measures to contain the spread of the virus. Now, I spoke with some advocates who told me that most of the people in these communities lack access to potable water. And in, in some cases, they had to buy this water. It will interest you that the people in the rural area, they are more hygienic than the people in the city center and the urban center. How so, sir? This water that you are saying they don't have, they have wells, clean wells, they have uh, uh, mini waterworks around all their areas, and they also make sure that they sweep the clean and, and their environment. So I can authoritatively tell you that the people in the rural area are more hygienic than the people in the urban. I have visited some of these rural areas and I noticed that they don't have portable water. It should also interest you that this government has gone into the interior of those areas you are talking about and gradually they are now bringing them all, as I said earlier, as I'm talking to you now, 
they are putting about micro water was in almost 32 villages, and that is the first leg. Other legs are coming. I've also just opened about four or five micro water works. I don't know whether you are following the trend. So the one along the this Badaki side, he has opened it. He's opened as many as, he, as, as uh, they are getting them ready. So not only that, they are also going to the electrification and many other areas too. Rural electrification to make sure that the people in rural area don't need to migrate to the urban area to have life. So um, let's talk about social distancing. Considering the overcrowdedness of these communities, can the social distancing rule work? It is because you and I don't know ourselves that we, we will have to keep these social distances. If you have 20, if you have 25 in a family and they keep to themselves, they don't go out, they don't mix, they don't need that social distancing as part the world social distancing. And don't forget, as I said earlier, that Mr. Governor has distributed face masks in thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions to rural areas through the local government, through the CPAs, through the other, through the other. So they have that one. When we talk of social distances, our own life in the urban area is very different from the life in the rural area. So uh, I, I think their own social distances is, is that they use their mask. The school is not open. The family is a nucleus one that they stay together while the mother and the children, they are close to themselves. So the issue of social distancing is not really matter here because they are not having foreigners or visitors visiting them. Now, you mentioned schooling for children in these communities. The e-learning system rely on internet connectivity and mobile devices. How possible is it for these children whose parents can barely feed to get through this e-learning process? You see, as you are talking, the hearing is not the villages you are talking about. It is not that uh, they, are, they, are, they are having a, a mobile radio and the Lagos Ministry of Education has also partnered with uh, some of these radio stations. They are having it between, 12, between 10 and 12 on Monday to Friday so that the student can listen. So you can carry a portable, a portable radio, and then you'll be able to, you'll be able to listen to all this. So also don't forget that most of this area we're talking about, they are having uh, solar energy and other things that they can use. Some of them are having uh, a better pass So they can also, they can easily listen. If there is any traces of COVID-19 in that rural area, there are addresses and their telephone numbers they can get to. Majority of their health centers, they are testing COVID-19 there now. Access to quality health care is another major challenge faced by rural dwellers. Most of the facilities are usually located distances away from the communities, making access difficult, especially during emergencies. I spoke with a public health expert and founder of Market Doctors, an organization for doctors who provide health care services in markets, informal sector, and other densely populated areas. Dr. Yetunde Ayelalowo. I asked her to explain what her experience has been in seeking to provide health care to these communities across the country. It was tough for them to seek health care initially, but now it's tougher because there is the fear of contracting the virus as well as 
poor financial capabilities, which has been worsened by the COVID-19 pandemic. Another group of people are the women who were pregnant, who would ordinarily go into the, go to the health facility to deliver their babies. But with the advent of COVID-19, they were scared. A lot of them felt, look, if I go to the health facility, I may contract COVID. So a lot of them have gone back to have their babies with a traditional bath attendant. Even if we look at those who were supposed to have vaccines for their children, because a lot of the family health care centers in court were not so functional because a lot of the health care um, workers' attention had been focused or diverted to fighting COVID-19. It made these centers just mere centers with little or no health care um, workers. So going to a, a facility, not meeting a healthcare worker, is enough reason for them not to visit again. You know, so it has affected the communities and slums, I would say, in a negative way. And um, I'm just hoping that we are not going to, to begin to lose the gains that we already had in access to healthcare. Now, describe to me the cultural acceptability of healthcare services in these communities that you have been to. Definitely, there are a lot of differences between communities. I mean, having got to just for about nine states in the Federation, there's a cultural difference between demographic, the composition of the people. In some communities, you find more men. In some, you find more women. In some, you have a lot of children. In some communities, you have to cuddle them to come out for health care. In some communities, you know, they come out because they, 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 they've had the experience of good health care, but it's not just as it used to be. And in some communities, you find out that women don't come out. So you go to take health care to the communities, and all you have is men coming out, just because the culture does not allow women to come out. Yeah, and of course, there are language barriers as well. So in different communities, we have varying um, types of acceptability to the services. But we work around this to make sure that those gaps is reached. Now, share with us what you observed in these communities at the onset of the pandemic and now? In the COVID-19 pandemic, it becomes a different ballgame entirely for communities, for slums, for the informal sector, because these are people that are ordinarily vaccinated to have access to healthcare. Then comes COVID-19 when there is even a fear of contracting the disease, because initially a lot of people felt um, getting COVID-19 was a death sentence. So I mean, they wouldn't even get near, go near to any healthcare center they didn't even want to go near to any healthcare worker as well. But, you know, as, as, as the pandemic went on, we found out that it, it changed from fear uh, to disbelief, really, because them killed, they've not even met, they've not met anybody who eventually contracted COVID-19, and they've been hearing about huge amounts of Naira, huge amounts of dollars, and they cannot put those two together. So the, 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 the focus changes from fear now to survival because a lot of them have um, lost a lot of income during the lockdown by staying at home. We're not able to get panicked, and so they are merely surviving, you know. They are now seeking for, for survival for what to eat first before they even think of um, seeking access to health care. So how has the pandemic impacted these communities? Okay, let me first say that um, with the advent of COVID-19, there was a lot of exposure to the inadequacies in our systems, which we had ordinarily taken for granted. Because uh, when, we, when the COVID-19 pandemic came, we started telling people to wash their hands, 
And how were they going to wash their hands if they did not have running water? I mean, how were they going to wash their hands if they were actually buying water with money? How were they going to do that? Then at some point, we asked them not to go out. How were they going to survive because they were feeding on daily money? At some point, we told them to wear masks, you know, and that was for them an additional cost. For some of us, a mask costing 200, 500 may mean nothing. But for a man with a family of like eight, to get masks for all of them meant something, you know. So for them, the, the focus shifted. And to think that a lot of them were already coping with other diseases like malaria, hypertension, diabetes, probably were on the waiting list for surgeries of cataracts and all of that, they shifted their focus. They stopped focusing on all of these diseases and focused on survival. Okay, has there been any case of COVID-19 infection in any of these communities? Okay, I will say that I cannot say for sure. You know, there is the issue of stigmatization for COVID-19. So a lot of people would rather hide, even if they have COVID-19, they would rather not tell anybody, you know. And um, for those who had the COVID-19, they had to have access to testing, which was another challenge. How did they have access to testing? Only recently, a couple of, um, maybe two months, at um, the Lagos State, um, decentralized testing, and, you know, put it up at many of the family health care centers. But I like to say that this is still not enough for the number of people who are willing to test. So if there's a number that is willing to test, and the test is not enough for the number willing to test. Now, look, uh, extrapolate it to those who are in the community, who are in the slum. It's going to be difficult for them to have access to tests. Hmm. So I can't say for sure that this is the number of people that are positive in communities, but there are the people that have been positive in slums and communities, and of course, there are some of them who are also essential healthcare workers, who are probably drivers, who are probably cooks, who are probably um, household um, assistants who contracted the disease while in the course of their work or their job. So I can't say that, oh, in this community there were this number of cases, or in that community there were this number of cases. But for sure, there are people in the community who have contracted COVID-19. Okay, let's look at how even the distribution of stimulus packages went, especially in rural and slum communities in Nigeria. Okay, I can say for real that quite a number of communities got the packages, palliative, whether from the government or from private organizations, from NGOs, CSOs, because uh, we were involved actually in distribution of some of these palliatives that were supported by private partners. You understand? And I, I, I know that also in some of the communities in which we had worked, the government had actually come in with forms of their local government chairman, state government, had distributed palliatives. But the question is, what is enough? How do we say this is enough? I mean, if someone gets a small bag of rice, a small bag of beans, a small bag of dairy and uh, oil to cook it for a family of six, a family of eight, how long does that take them? three days, four days, five days. What happens after that? Um, the palliative, very good initiative, um, very good support, but not sustainable. Okay, looking forward now, post-COVID-19, what would you demand from the government for rural dwellers in the country? Okay, um, I think that um, with all our work with the community, what I can say is that you cannot work on, with a community when you are far from the community. And you cannot do a job for the community when you are outside of the community. 
So they're asking you some sort of integration with the community by the government. People in the community must be the ones that will work with the community. Because there's issue of stock, there's issue of acceptability, there's issue of um, belief, you understand? So I feel that the government they are, really need to get closer to the people um, in whatever form you want to say, whether you're distributing policy, whether it's healthcare, in whatever, even in security. You can only take care of the people when you work closely with them. And, and that way is when you will understand their unique needs and you'll be able to tackle it. Timothy Chinagorom Onoa, popularly known as African China, is a Nigerian dancehall reggae star. He grew up in Ajegunle, a Boston Lagos ghetto, which provides inspiration for his music. He told Abdul Kwechemen that this pandemic and the lockdown that followed provided the setting for him to do what he knows how to do best, create music. We've been locking ourselves down, just like they asked us to do now. I've been indoor, but I've been doing some writing. I've been writing some new songs because the whole lockdown came with a whole lot of its own vibe because we have too many stories to talk about. So now I'm just trying to see how I can put one and two together, you know, to make it melodious. Okay, in other words, this lockdown has helped you in your creativity, right? Boost my creativity because you know that's the, uh, my genuine kind of music, you know, and it gave Nigerians the opportunity again to look for African China. Then we now dropped the letter to Mr. President, which the one I said, Oh, no, 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 the Rionga show. To survive three square meal is the Naira bed, the Naira bed thing. The lockdown gave the song the opportunity for the fans to listen to it. What have you missed the most? What have I missed? Okay, I miss my stage act. I miss performing. I miss my fans cheering at me. How long do you think this is going to last? <sighs> well, for me, I really can't say because the way Nigerian government have been going about this whole thing, I really don't understand because one minute some group of people, some new videos will pop up online and you hear that at the isolation center, people are busy having sex with themselves. You hear that at the isolation center, they refuse to serve them food and they are rioting. They refuse to give them the money they ask for. So a lot of news, we don't even know which one we, we want to believe and which one we want to like, you know, uh, say, okay, this one is actually the truth. So I really cannot say how long this thing is going to last because they are not really telling us anything. The next minute it says malaria, it has a malaria symptom, okay, it has a pneumonia symptom, everything. It's all confusing. Sometimes I begin to wonder, these people, do they really know what this COVID thing is all about? As at this moment now, I stopped reading anything about COVID. Once I see it online, I just keep off because I've learned to live the life now like this until the whole lockdown thing is called off completely. What do you think we have in Nigeria? I, I don't know. They should tell me because they are there. I'm not there. I don't know. They should tell me what I don't know. I'm as confused as every Nigerian, you know. I don't know. They should tell us. They should tell us what is really, really happening because we're not being carried along because a lot of people's businesses are at stake, especially my field. Entertainment is shut down completely because my field needs this crowd. And right now, the crowd is what everybody is scared of. 
so I can't work. After this COVID experience, do you think we are going to have the numbers back? The crowd is going to come back. There are going to be big concerts. Do you think so? We would definitely, because trust me, Nigeria is happy people. Nigerians are happy people. You can't take that away from them because we have seen 99. So I don't think 100 is, is going to shake them. So we're going to come back. But I don't know how long, but it will take some time because now the main people, the main spenders, the main people who spend money in concerts and all that are the rich. And I think this COVID thing is, to me, <laughs> I think it's visiting the rich. <laughs> That where you are in the ghettos, how are they coping with the pandemic? Uh, do they believe in it or they don't believe in it like you? I would categorically tell you that they believe. But the thing is, they have to go to their day-to-day -day job. They have to. Some of them, their kind of jobs are pay as you go. You come out, you sell, they go back and they feed with that. The political parties are just concerned about their own leadership. They don't even care what happens to the... It has to be the country first. The, first, the country has to come first. All they do is just the party, what concerns the party, how it's going to favor the party, that the party will continue to stay. That's all they care about. What, what would be the lesson that you have learned during this period? Honestly, I've learned to... I've, I've gone back to cooking at home. I don't cook at home, but... <laughs> now I cook. I started cooking. And that's it on this edition of Now. I am Bumi Yekini.